We're going to be uh, mainly in Isaiah 43 tonight, but we're actually going to try to pick up the pace and try to do uh, Isaiah end of 42, all of 43, in the first part of 44. Yeah, I know, we've got a lot to cover. So with the time change, the way I look at it, we've got an extra hour. So, now, I like this message. This is what I call one of those logical messages. It just, point after point after point, it just flows. And you just see it building up as we've gone through this. Now, once again, if you weren't with us last week, the whole point was about Christ the servant. And we talked about what does it mean to serve. And we, how do we serve, the problems of serving, why don't we serve, the blessing of serving. And so often I think pastors come across as serve because we're like desperate and we need you, we want you. We want you to serve because you'll also be blessed by it. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Is when you serve, there's a blessing that comes out of it. And it's not just saying serve at the church. It's in any capacity. When you serve, you're modeling Jesus Christ. And I highly encourage you to get involved with things. and It'll be a real blessing to you. There's no doubt about that. So Jesus set the example of servanthood. That's what the first part of Isaiah 42 is. Well, it changes a little bit here right now. Look, if you will, at verse 14 of Isaiah 42. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up all the pools. I will bring the blind by a way they do not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. What you see here is judgment. And Jesus is saying, as the servant, I'm going to also judge. Now, the first question I would ask is, if judgment is coming, why is judgment coming? The answer is found in verse 18. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Now, stop here for a second. If you have New King James... This servant is a little s, not the big s. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 42, that's big servant s. This is little servant s. So we're not talking about Jesus. This is Jesus talking about his servant. Who is his servant? Israel. What's the problem? They're deaf and blind. That's why judgment is coming. So judgment is coming. Judgment is coming because they're deaf and blind. What type of judgment is coming? Verses 21 through 25. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes. They are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey. And no one delivers for plunder. And no one says restore. Jump ahead, if you will, just a little bit to verse 25. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle and has set him on fire all around. Yet he did not know and it burned him and he did not take it to heart. What's this judgment? This judgment is when Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Jerusalem was destroyed. It was burned to the ground. They wanted to get the gold out of the temple. Things were burned. Things were destroyed. And what also happens here is they were taken away, verse 22, robbed and plundered, and they were put in prisons. You know, this is how Daniel went over to Babylon, etc. So what you have here in this chapter is the servant says in verses 14 through 17, there's judgment coming. Why is the judgment coming? Because people are blind and deaf, verses 18 and 19. What type of judgment? Verses 21 through 25. Jerusalem will be plundered and robbed and burned to the ground. Now, that all happened. Now, we just did a study a few weeks ago about prophecy, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But once again, this is a fascinating thing. The prophecies that were just foretold her by Isaiah came completely true in 586 B.C. That's the beauty of God's Word. Only God's Word can do prophecy. The only one. But what I want to talk about here and build on for a second is this right now, verse 18, deaf and blind. Do you realize when you go into work tomorrow, 
you're going to be surrounded by deaf and blind people spiritually. And let's just be totally blunt, there's going to be deaf and blind spiritually people that listen to this message. And there may even be deaf and blind spiritually people here tonight. Because here's the thing. We hear it, but we don't hear it. We see God moving, but we really don't see it. And this is such a frustration sometimes to me as a pastor, because you could be doing counseling with somebody, and you're giving them these straightforward scriptures of God's Word, and you can see it just goes in one ear and out the other. Nothing changes. You can see people also where they're like, where is God? Why isn't He doing anything in my life? Why isn't He moving? Then God moves some great stone and mountain in their life, and they still say, where is God? Why doesn't He do anything? They're blind. They're not seeing God move. They're not seeing God work. They're deaf. They're not hearing God try to speak to them. And what's the answer to that? God says sometimes I've got to rock their world a little bit. For Jerusalem, it was a little bit of a robbing, plundering, prison, and fire. Now, hopefully that's not us, but the truth of the matter is God loves us so much that he tries to do this. I had a situation that popped up with uh, Judah this week. It's always bad when Elias comes into the room crying Judah's two steps behind saying, I said I'm sorry, I said I'm sorry. So they come, Lias is crying. Judah, I said I'm sorry, I said I'm sorry. And I said, okay, Judah, I understand you're sorry. I take his hand, I take him over to the couch, and I grab the wooden spoon. Daddy, I said I'm sorry, I said I'm sorry. I said, Judah, I know you said you're sorry, and I believe to an extent that you are sorry, but the discipline is there to remind you to not do it again. And that is a hard thing to do. You guys have all been down that path as parents. But in Judah's little mind, I just have to say I'm sorry and everything's fine. Okay, there is some truth to that. Let's not get too deep here theologically. But the point is sometimes too, don't we just say we get it when we really don't get it? I mean, once again, I know from my perspective, I've been on both sides. I've been on the side of talking to someone who's like, yep, yep, I get it, I get it. It's like, no, you don't get it. You're just saying that to shut me up. I'm not, I'm not dumb. And I've also been on the other side where someone, I've, Someone's trying to speak to me. Maybe you're listening to a message. Like, yep, I get it. Flip the channel. No, I don't get it. Spiritually blind, spiritually deaf. What do we do? What do we do when we reach that point of failure and we realize we're not where we're supposed to be? Turn, if you will, to John chapter 21. Let's talk about this for a second. Maybe you're thinking, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm spiritually blind and deaf. I'm supposed to be the servant, and I'm not serving in any way. When I say not serving in any way, I don't mean not literally serving. I'm saying my heart is not serving the Lord in the capacity it's supposed to be serving. And I'm not saying, well, hey, I signed up for child care in the back. Hey, I cleaned the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, is your heart a heart of service to the Lord? Where you say, God, I am a slave to you. I am a bondservant to you, and my life is your life. Because really what happens is we're very selfish. We're in a capacity of life and we don't like it, so we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do, but here's the catch with no ramifications. That's what Israel wanted. Well, can't we have a relationship with you, Jehovah, but still do what we want, when we want, with no ramifications? The answer to that is no. We have a lot of people that still like to do that today. They like to play Christian. They like to have that quote-unquote relationship with God. They like to feel good when they come into church. They like that idea, but they really don't, during the week, want to have that real relationship with Christ. And God's saying, you're not my servant. So what happens when we totally drop the ball? Let's just say we totally, just totally mess it up. And maybe that's what happened to you this week. You just drop the ball so bad, you don't even know what to do. You realize what God wants and you're not doing it. So what do you do? Well, let's look at an example here of a guy who dropped the ball pretty bad, Peter. Now, Peter obviously is a good guy. He wrote two books of the Bible. He was one of the twelve. He obviously had a great calling on his life. But you know what? Peter also had a lot of ups and downs. 
I can relate to Peter more than I can relate to a lot of people in the Bible. I have great spiritual successes followed by huge spiritual failures. Peter dropped the ball pretty bad. He denied Christ three times. We all know the story. What was Peter's great response to failing? Verse 21, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 21 of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now that doesn't sound like that that's that big a deal, right? But Jesus told Peter earlier to drop the nets and follow him. By Peter saying, I am going fishing, what is he saying there in verse 3? Peter gave up. I, you know, I, I screwed up too much. I did. I dropped the ball. I'm the one that said, I will never leave you and betray you. I'm the one that said, everybody else may run away, but I'm not going to do it. And Peter failed. Now, haven't we all had a Peter moment of just horrible failure? And don't we just want to go back to fishing? Isn't that what we want to do? Verse 3, Peter says, I want to go back to fishing. Why? I'm a spiritual failure. Haven't you had a moment where you got up one Sunday and you're like, I, I can't go to church? Man, what, look what I did Friday. Look what I did Saturday. Look what I did this morning. I can't go. Or have you ever had that moment where you hear that lesson of the pastor saying, go deeper, do this. I'd love to, but I can't. I'm just such a failure. Do you, do you not realize, and I know we all know this, that we're all absolute, utter failures? And Jesus still loves us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the picture of grace? We've all failed the body of Christ. We've all failed the Messiah. We've all failed our spouses, our kids. We've all had moments of failure where we were not the servant that God called us to be. So what does Jesus do with Peter here? Well, first off, before you find out what Christ does, Peter says, I'm going fishing, verse 3. Look at the rest. They said to him, we are going with you also. Now, here's the problem. When you give up, it affects other people. Now, I know we don't really like to think it does, but the truth of the matter is when we give up, it has a ripple effect through the body of Christ. Hey, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, I don't know. I talked to him and he just says he's done. He says it's just, he just can't do church anymore. He just says he's done. Oh, we need to pray for him. But in the back of our head, that's planting a seed of he gave up. You know, next thing you know, maybe I should give up. You know, or maybe you're involved with something. It's like, no one cares. No one notices. No, people do care. People notice. And when we give up, it's a ripple effect through the body of Christ. Peter, like it or not, was basically the leader of the twelve. So when Peter said, I'm done, they said, we're going fishing with you. Now, here's the beauty of God's grace and mercy. If you want to give up, you can give up. Do you realize how many great men of God have given up in the Bible? Moses gave up. David gave up. Elijah gave up. We can just keep going down the line. Jonah gave up. Jeremiah gave up. We're all going to have moments of where we want to. Problem is when we quit, it affects everything else. And you know what really happens when we quit? Look at the rest of verse 3. They went out, immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught what? Nothing. You know what the result of giving up is? Nothing. You get nothing. There's no fruit in your life. There's no peace in your life. There's just a meaningless, nothingless life. And what you have here going on with Israel is they failed. They failed as a nation. They weren't following the Lord. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. God says, you're my servant. You're not being my servant. So therefore, judgment is coming. Now, if we would stop right here at the end of chapter 43, it's a little bit of a downer. Just like if we would stop right here in Peter's life, it's a little bit of a downer. And maybe that's where some of you are at tonight. I'm Peter. I'm ready to be done. I'm going back to fishing. This isn't worth it. 
Well, the rest of chapter 21 is all about Jesus coming back and restoring Peter. Jesus specifically pulls Peter aside in verses 15 through 19 and rebuilds him up. And basically, basically what Peter is coming and saying is, Peter, you have a role, you have a purpose, and I love you. Now, isn't that a great God that we love and serve? See, so often we have this picture of God that, number one, we surprise Him when we fail. God is not shocked by my failures. Number two, once we fail, it's almost like a one and done. You're done. It's over. Man, I am so thankful that it's not done and over. I'm so thankful that Jesus came back and specifically picked out Peter. Can you imagine how different the Bible would be if after Peter denied Christ three times, Peter just disappeared off the face of the band? Boy, wouldn't that be scary? Lord, I screw up and I'm done? No. God comes back to Peter and he says, I want to restore you and I want you. Look at the last phrase there in verse 19. Follow me. If you get off track with the Lord and you have a Peter moment, you have an Israel moment of you're not where you're supposed to be, Jesus just comes back and says, follow me. That's so beautiful. We just get right back on path and everything's okay. Because now jump back to Isaiah. We end chapter 42. 42 ends on a rough note. The servant failed. Israel was supposed to be the servant. They failed. Judgment came. Burning, plundering, robbing. But look at the beginning of chapter 43. Three little letters. But. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. See, God comes back in verse 1 of chapter 43 and says, you know what? You may be in fire. You may be plundered. You may be in prison. But you are mine. I have redeemed you. I have called you. I'm not letting you go. It's a great passage of the New Testament. It says that when we are faithless, God remains what? Faithful. Well, I've had some faithless moments. I really have. And I'm so thankful the Lord just hasn't said, James, you're done with me. I'm done with you. Boy, I'm glad he's faithful to me. And look at this. He's redeemed me. He's called me. You are mine. See, this is the problem sometimes with breaking the Bible down by chapters is we would stop after chapter 42 and think, boy, what a bummer. You know, and you don't come back next week, you don't hear chapter 43, and you think, boy, what a rough note to end on. That's why it's so important to read the whole concept of it, because you see chapter 42 ending on a downer, but immediately God says in chapter 43, you're mine. And you may say, okay, I'm his, but I'm still a failure. I'm a failure as a wife, I'm a failure as a husband, I'm a failure as a father, I'm a failure as a fill-in-the-blank, I'm a failure as everything, I'm a failure. God says, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name. And look at this. Look what he's going to do during the tough times. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. See, you are going through a tough time. And maybe in that tough time, you have failed. I have failed. Aren't you thankful that God says, I'm still going to get you through the river. I'm still going to get you through the water. I'm still going to get you through the fire. I'm the one that's going to do it. Have you realized, in chapter 43, what have we done? Nothing. Look at that verse 1 again. I have redeemed you. I have called you. Do you know how many times people fail in life and they try to redeem themselves? I've seen it where their life is a total failure. I'm just going to get myself going in the right direction. I'm just going to pick myself up. You can't pick yourself up. You know that phrase, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going. You can't do that. 
The only way Israel got back on their feet is when they were redeemed by God. The only way Peter got back on his feet was when he was restored by Jesus. So, he redeems us. Look at the rest of verse 43. He calls us. I don't have to do it. He just wants to have a willing heart for me. So, he gets me through the tough times. Verse 4, since you are precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Verse 5, excuse me, therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. God says, I'm going to take care of you. Even though you failed, even though you dropped the ball, even though you're not being the servant I've called you, I will take care of you. And I love how he brings this back in. What are we supposed to do? Verse 8, bring out the blind, eye, blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations gather together and let them be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant who I am chosen that you may know and believe me. Isn't that interesting? In chapter 42, the servant is blind and deaf. The servant failed. In chapter 43, God says in verse 8, Bring the blind to me, bring the deaf to me. And what is he going to say in verse 10? I'm going to make the blind and deaf my witnesses, and I'm going to make them my servant. That you may know and believe me, verse 10, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, nor there shall be after me. I, even I, the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Now I have to throw this out in verse 11. And I know you're the Wednesday night group, so therefore you're better than anybody that comes on Sunday. But the point of the matter is verse 11. We can never skip a verse like that without making it crystal clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, I know that's such a fundamental concept of Christianity, but in the society we live in today, the idea of Jesus being the sole path for salvation has now been tossed out the window. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. Verse 11 makes it clear. Besides me, there is no Savior. It has to come through him. It has to come through him. But did you catch this verses 8 through 11? The blind, deaf servant is now restored. Now, what did the blind, deaf servant do differently? They're still blind and deaf. God's the one that says, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of it. Lord, I don't get it. I don't see what you're trying to do. Lord, I don't hear your voice. What do you want me to do? He says, just, just come. Be my witness. Well, how can I be a witness, Lord? I'm such a failure. I'm such a whatever. God takes care of that. He knows I'm a failure. I was not picked to do anything because of success and know-how. The Bible says that God actually picked the lowly things of the world to put to shame the wise. You know, some of those people that have tasted the most spiritual success are really some of the world's biggest failures. And that's the way God likes to work. It's if you really think you're something, God says, ah, you're hard to work with. Pride's a really difficult thing for the Lord to work with. He really works well with people that are failures. <laughs> it's the truth. So, you see him restoring Israel, taking the blind and deaf, and now saying, you're my witnesses. Verse 10, you're my servant. I have chosen you. Do you ever think about that? God chose you. That's, that's humbling at the same time as edifying, at the same time as just all these different emotions go through my mind. God chose me. Now, you want to think, he chose me because I'm this. No, he didn't choose me because there was anything good in me. He just chose me because he loved me. And as he loved me, he says, now that I've loved you, I want you to what? Serve. So we've come full circle now. The servant failed. The servant got judged. But yet the servant is loved. 
The servant is chosen. The servant is redeemed. The blind and deaf servant is now able to see and hear by God. So what is the result of all this? What is supposed to happen? Verse 16. Thus says the Lord who makes the way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quinched like a wick. You may say, okay, what is um, verses 16 and 17 trying to say here? Who does it? Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. What do we do? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. See, we always think it relies on us. If we get into verse 16 here, God is trying to say, it's okay, servant, this is what you do. And the first thing we're supposed to do as a servant is realize in verses 16 and 17 that we don't do anything. God does all of it. Haven't you ever had one of those spiritual problems that's such a burden? Lord, what am I going to do? God says, why don't you let me take care of that for you. Boy, there's been times out here at church where it's just like, Lord, it's falling apart. What are we going to do? What's the next step? And we try to, verse 16, make a way through the sea. We try to make a path through the mighty waters. We try to take care of the chariot and the horse. And God says, no, I'll I'll take care of that. I'll take care of it. You just got to be faithful to trust me. Well, the problem is, as we try to go forward in verses 16 and 17, what does Satan try to do? Remind you of your failures. Haven't you ever tried to do that? You try to go forward in the Lord and you try to make a fresh start in Him. You try to do things the right way and the only thing you can think of is failure after failure after failure. God just, you just feel like, Lord, I can't. Look at verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. If you are somebody that you struggle with your past, and you struggle with decisions that you made that you shouldn't have made, if you struggle with carrying baggage and burdens into the present time, you need to circle, mark, underline verse 18. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of hold. Why? Look at verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. The New Testament equivalent, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Once again, aren't you thankful that God takes the blind, deaf servant and makes something new out of him? And how does he do it? He does it because he's God. We can't do it. He does it. Well, what's our result? Verse 21, This people I have formed for myself, they should declare my praise. There's only one result. Praise God. And that's the only thing you can do is praise God. Because haven't we already established the fact I'm a failure? And I can't fix my own problems. So therefore, I'm only redeemed and restored by Jesus, who's my only Savior. He's the one, verses 16 and 17, that makes the path through the waters. I can't do it myself. He's the only one, verses 18 and 19, that can make something new out of me because I'm such an old failure. Seriously, what other result do I have other than verse 21 is to praise Him? I, I didn't do it. I can sit here and try to think, of, well, you know, God chose me because of my good things. No, there was no good. Well, God chose me because He saw this great future in me and He saw the hidden gem under all this sin. No, under my sin is more sin. God said, I'm going to make you new. (laughs) James, the old James is such a failure, I can't use him. So I'm going to make you a new creation, born again in Jesus Christ. The only response I have is verse 21, is to praise Him. That's the only response I have. There's nothing else I can do. I can't take credit for this. This is God. And through your failures, he got you through it. The only response is verse 21 is to praise him. Let's stop here for a second. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about uh, what we've covered here thus far? Okay, so we build up to this point. Now, what are we supposed to do? Finally, we reach a point of where we have a responsibility. 
Note the responsibility only comes after Christ redeems us, Christ saves us, Christ chooses us, and Christ makes us new creation. We haven't done anything yet, right? So what are we supposed to do finally? Uh, verse 22. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you, have not, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Isn't that the truth of Christianity in verses 22 through 24? I bring nothing to the table except iniquity and sin, verse 24. That's the only thing I bring to the table. I can't do anything else. So what God is trying to say here is your responsibility, verses 22 and 23, is get yourself spiritually right. Take a look at your spiritual life. Is there a spiritual life? If there's not a spiritual life, what are we doing? Verse 24, we're burdening and wearying God. Now that's not trying to say something to make you feel bad, but that's the truth of the matter is God has done all of this, so therefore I want to do this. And what is that I want to do? I want to go deeper in Him spiritually. We don't live in a society today where we have to bring sheep for burnt offerings. I don't have to do grain offerings. We don't have to do that. We're not under the law. But I can bring other offerings. I can bring a sacrifice of praise, as the New Testament says. I can bring an offering of my time, energy, and resources by serving at church or serving in my community. I can bring my time, energy, and resources by sacrificing time that I would use to fill myself up with worldly things and say, Lord, I want to spend time in prayer with you. I want to spend time in the Word with you. But no, the reason I do those things is because of what God has already done not to save me, not to take me deeper. I know too many Christians where they think the more I pray, the more God will do. The more I read and study, the more God owes me. God is a debtor to no man. So therefore, any type of prayer, Bible study, service, sacrifice I do is all because Christ has already made the ultimate sacrifice and service. We just respond. And how does He do this? Verse 25, I, even I, am who He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Do you realize God forgives me because He wants to have a relationship with me? Don't you love that? God says, I want to blot out your transgressions because I get something out of it. What in the world does God get out of forgiving my sins? He has a relationship with me for all of eternity. See, Jesus wants that. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Of course, Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died because I couldn't take care of it myself, but He also died so that way He could have a relationship with me. He says the only way I can ever have a real relationship with James is if I take care of the sin problem because James can't take care of himself. And He did it for His own sake. Verse 25, I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case so that you may be acquitted. You've heard me say this a lot out here. If God has forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself. There's a lot of people I know where they have carried a lot of burdens into the present day and they haven't forgiven themselves for what they've done. God's forgiven them. Christ has forgiven them. But they haven't forgiven themselves. Learn from your mistakes and grow from your mistakes, but realize God's forgiven you. Let's finish this up real quick. The last thing here, and, I, and I'm sorry, we're going to have to cut this last point here short, and I hate cutting this point short because this point is very important. What do we do now here, continuing on, chapter 44? You hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Note in verse 1 of chapter 44, they're just the servant now. They're not the blind deaf servant. God has already taken care of that. Chapter 43, 
excuse me, chapter 42, they're blind and deaf servant. Chapter 43, God makes them so they're no longer blind and deaf. So now in verse 1 of chapter 44, they're just the servant. That's why it's so important to get all these scriptures together. They go from blind and deaf to blind and deaf being taken care of to now just the servant. Verse 1, Israel whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, you will help who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. Here's the key, verse 3. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I love that. We go from blind deaf servant who is judged, who is then redeemed and chosen, verse 1 of chapter 43, who then gets their spiritual life set in order and is no longer blind to deaf. They're now the servant, verses 1 and 2, and then there's this blessing of the Spirit being poured out upon them. Boy, that's a beautiful picture of our sin being forgiven by Christ and the blessings that come out of it. I tell you right now, this is my final point I'll say as it's after 8 o'clock. If you are in a position where you are the failure of a servant, don't be Peter. Don't go back to fishing. Don't give up. Don't say it's not worth it. Stop and realize God loves you, wants to redeem this, make this right, and he may be in a failure situation now, but he says, I can take this failure and turn it into a beautiful, beautiful thing. Don't give up where you're at. Don't stop trying. Realize this through God's strength, you become that man or woman of God that he's called you to be. It's a beautiful thing. Anybody got any final questions, comments about this before we close up? All right. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll let you go. Lord, as we come to you now, uh, we are all... Uh, servants that have failed, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for choosing us. But Lord, also through this, help us to have a willing spirit to want to be made right in you. And Lord, we all know somebody who um, is struggling, who's failed. And Lord, maybe we're that person. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for blotting out our sins. Thank you for acquitting us and forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, guys, have a good week and God bless.